Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. We know when it comes from the heart. Didn't come from the throat. Came from the heart. Thank you, Dominic. Well, this morning, I, uh, I changed our video to the one we had. Because I found out late this week, I mean, who do we love more than Jack and Lucille Timon? These dear people who are part of our, part of our fellowship. And, and uh, they're Catholics, and they would have loved that. And, uh, but I found out that Lucille has been diagnosed with a cancer unique to women. And and those two love each other so much. And Jack takes such good care of her. And, and because of where she is in life right now, she can't understand what this means. So just as the two of them love one another, so ought we to love one another. We ought to be at least as loving to one another as the animals. We've been created this way. And the Lord has taught us that it's not when we argue and win our arguments that makes him happy. Just think about when you had your own kids at home. (laughs) When they would argue and someone would win the argument, that didn't make you happy when they loved one another. And that's the same as with our Father in heaven. So with that understanding, with that deep calling that is not so profound, it's the kind of thing we learned in kindergarten. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Well, Father, may we, may we simply be the church. May we be your body. May we do to one another and to others what you did to us, what you do to us. That is, you show love to us even when we're unlovable. You accept us even when we run away. You make sure that there's a safe place to come home even when we find ourselves in the far country. So, Lord, may we be that with one another. May we be the body of Christ. And may we be a people that is characterized by the love that infuses through us from your Son. For we have an imbued righteousness from him. And that righteousness empowers us not to be better than anyone else, but to recognize that we're called to look at others as better than ourselves and humility to to move toward one another, to move toward others, to be reconciled and to show the, the oneness that you have with the Father and that you established with us and that is our high calling. So Lord, we... We pray this morning for all who are 
at this time afflicted at home, maybe struggling with what it means to be alone, struggling what it means to be in that time of post-Christmas where there was such a tremendous high for being with family and now back to life, back to the ordinary world where you meet us. So Lord, we, we pray that, that we might be, again, one with one another, um, that we might be a loving, caring presence that embodies your presence, especially to those in need. And Lord, we, we continue to pray for our nation when we all want to put the past behind. Lord God, may we move forward and may we legitimately grapple with the challenges that we face. May we especially remember those who in particular are afflicted by the reality of inflation, the least of our brothers and sisters, the poor, the needy, the ones who go from paycheck to paycheck or don't make it from paycheck to paycheck. Lord God, we, we pray for them. And we ask that through the various agencies in our community that we might do what we, what we can to reach out to them as they make direct provision for the poor. And may we be reminded by your son who said the poor are always with us. And so we, as your children, are always responsible. And so remind us, O oh Lord, to do our part. We also ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with our, our national state and local leadership, our political leadership, that they may act in wisdom and discretion, that they might not act out of seeking of power, but out of seeking of solutions so that this, this nation might continue to be the light upon a hill, that to which all nations are drawn. Because of the great joy that is established here, because this nation was established upon the principles that you have provided for us, that all are created equal before you. And it is our responsibility to act that out with one another. So Lord, we ask that you would attend to our hearts this day. Remind us, oh Lord, that your son, our savior Christ, took on human flesh, dwelt among us, and attends to our, our every need. And we ask, oh Lord, that, that our hearts might be moved by that presence on a regular basis, that we might simply pay attention to when you're with us. We ask this even as we pray, as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we bring to the Lord our God the tithes and offerings of our lives.
And now, Father, disturb the peace in our lives. Move upon us according to your will. And may your animating spirit breathe new life into our hearts. According to your will, according to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. So I was a kid in high school, and I had my little J.B. Phillips New Testament. And I was reading through it, and I got to the Gospel of John. And I read what I'm about to share this morning, and it was stunning to me. I didn't realize the magnitude of this passage in church history, even up to this day, and in the formation of Christian doctrine. But I remember reading it and realizing that in the opening of John's gospel, it is declared that Jesus was God. And I had thought up to that point that was simply an affirmation, that that was just one of those things that constituted church talk. But then I saw it in black and white. And then when I was in seminary, in Greek class, I learned. Enarchein hologos, kai hologos and prostontheon, kai hologos and hotheos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hear the Word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who was in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. May God add his understanding to this 
for this hearing of his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this, at the Council of Nicaea, soon after Constantine became a Christian, the Council of Nicaea, this was the, the foundational text that decided on the, and articulated the doctrine of the Trinity that Jesus was of the same essence as the Father. And the Western Church and the Eastern Church split at this point because the Eastern believed that Jesus was of like essence of the Father, as opposed to the Western Church that said the same essence of the Father. Now that might sound like hair splitting, but we have like essence. We are like chimpanzees, <laughs> but we're not the same. So the Western church said the same essence as, as, of the Father. As the Eastern church has held to that like essence, then they went their own way theologically and established an entirely different and yet great church in the Eastern Orthodox and the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox world. Oddly enough, the Eastern Orthodox churches are now in conversation with Rome, of all places, to bring about some theological unity. And then about 100 years later, that was in the 4th century, and then in the 5th century, there was yet another great debate, this time at the Council of Chalcedon. And the debate there was, again, based on this text, at that time it was, is Jesus of one nature or of two natures? Do we have one person with two natures or do we have two natures, two persons in one person? And once again, Eastern and Western split on this. The Eastern church wanted to hold on to the dual nature of Christ as having two natures, one person with two natures. And the Western church said, no, we have the fullness of God, fully God, fully human in one man. We don't have a man here and a God here. We have one human being who is both fully human and fully divine. And we might wonder what difference does it make? Why does it matter? And in my reading, I've come across a theologian named John A.T. Robinson, who generally I didn't like because he was kind of a liberal theologian throwing out the baby with the bathwater oftentimes as I saw it. But then he articulated a belief in the early authorship, particularly of the Gospel of John. And much of biblical scholarship in the, 18th and, pardon me, in the 19th and 20th centuries couldn't just go along with the early church fathers. They had to earn their PhD, and you earn your PhD by saying something new. So they were arguing for later authorship of the Gospels as well as of John. Some of them argued for authorship well into the, into the first century, into the, pardon me, into the second century. 
But John A.T. Robinson said, no, how can that be when the Gospels, both the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as John, which is very different than the Synoptics, none of them mention the fall of Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was considered to be one of the great wonders of the world at its time. And so when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, that was a huge event, huge. Not, not unlike our own Pearl Harbor or the World Trade Centers. It was of that magnitude for them, perhaps even greater. And so Robinson argues, not only for an early authorship of John, but then as you read the Gospel of John, it has such excruciatingly clear detail. And some have argued that it may have been written inside the first 10 years after Jesus' ministry. And in our own church, we have a former pastor, retired pastor named Art Sims, and Art wrote an article for his alma mater in which he is arguing for a very early authorship of the Gospel of John. And I'd never thought about this before. And I read Art's article, and, I, and Art is very smart, even though he's a Baptist. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I really appreciate it, and I've, I began to think very distinctly about the possibility of an early, very early authorship of the Gospel of John. Now, why would that matter? Well, that matters because some of the later, the arguments for a later authorship have been that, well, the Gospel went out and then it encountered the Gnosticism of the first century world. It, it, it collided with Greek and Roman thought, particularly Greek thought. And this was a way of sort of addressing itself to the Gnosticism of the first century. Gnosticism, which would basically say that Jesus wasn't really flesh. He just appeared to be with us. He was like a, he was like a kind of a ghost. Because that which is spiritual cannot take on flesh. That which is truly spiritual is sort of like up in the sky and ethereal. But if John's gospel is early, then what John is saying is dramatically, powerfully revolutionary because it's not simply arguing with the Greeks. It's, it's an early recognition that this man, Jesus, and I believe that John was the disciple of Jesus, that this man, Jesus, whom they had spent time with, they'd, they'd eaten with, Probably times they argued with him. Jesus may have gotten on their nerves at times. But this man from Nazareth, who is a real human being, now he is viewed not just as the, the Christ, not just as the Jewish Messiah. He's viewed as the one who is the agent of creation, the pre-existent God Son of God, the agent of creation itself. So John says, 
that he was there at the beginning. And that which is made, nothing was made without him, without the word. And we look back at Genesis and, and we see God simply says, let there be light. The word goes forth. The, the word of God is the agency of creation. And, and it makes sense. So the word goes forth and light bursts. The word goes forth and birds fill the air. And animals cover the, the ground. The word goes forth and the, the land is divided and the waters are divided and the sky and the earth are divided. And what John is saying is that Jesus is the pre-existent word of God. That he was with God in the beginning. And then he take on, took on human flesh. He became fully one of us. And, and as such, his declaration constitutes not just 30, 40, 50 years of the church's recollections and the church's arguments. Who is this person? What happened? What really happened here? after the death and then the resurrection, what, what really went on here? What it means is that, that it was an early recognition of the divine nature of Christ. That's what I consider simple orthodoxy. An orthodoxy that's consistent with the teaching of the church since the beginning of the church. I believe very possibly within the first decade of the church's life. Now, my, my difficulty with modern theologians is they want to argue, well, Jesus is just sort of the best representation of God. In other words, Jesus is just really a, a, a really good guy. And we can be like him if we just try real hard. Well, I tried real hard and I'm not like him. And the, the, the notion that somehow what we have here is not in, in our faith is not something dramatically new and unique robs the gospel of its power. It, it takes away the reality of who Jesus is. Because what John then goes on to say is that, is that he is the light to all people. In other words, he animates within us faith. There, there's a moment of a quickening, if you will, of faith waking up within us. And we don't have any control over it. We can try to talk ourselves or argue ourselves or argue with others into it, but then there's suddenly an awakening. There's simply a moment where somehow we know. Somehow it breaks in. And that awakening of faith 
is a gift, and it's, a, it's an act of God's new creative work within you and me. And it doesn't have to be wild and crazy. It doesn't mean that we, we have to have some kind of a moving experience or have to go forward on a Sunday morning or, or speak in tongues or any of that sort of thing. It simply means that God has, has moved upon us. And yet I believe God is moving upon us in so many ways all the time. The other video I was going to show, you may have seen it before, was um, a great violinist, his name all of a sudden got away from me, but this great violinist who is playing the violin in uh, Washington, D.C. at the train station. And so this is a concert violinist. Um, people pay hundreds of dollars to see him. And he's got his violin case open, and he's standing in the train station playing away, and people are just rushing by. They just go by. And they, they have to show it in fast motion because he's playing for quite a while, and then there's such a crowd moving in and out and moving in and out. Maybe three, four, five people at the end are there when he finishes up, and they kind of, you know, a, a few claps in the train station. So here was, here was the introduction of great beauty, of something tremendously rare, and they didn't see it. They didn't hear it. It came and went, and the vast majority never recognized it. And so this becomes sort of a, a metaphor for how, for how Jesus' life and ministry was for the, for the early church. He came, he gave us this beautiful gift of his life, and so many didn't recognize it. In fact, they were threatened by it. They didn't like change. They didn't like to be, have their own lives held up, held up to a standard like this. Just didn't like it. You know, that, that is the nature of God's judgment, by the way. In the book of Amos, the prophet Amos talks about how God is going to wipe out the Jews because once again they've misbehaved. God always repents of this. But Amos is, is pleading on behalf of, the, of Judah because God's going to destroy them with fire and then he's going to destroy them with wind. And then finally, Amos simply says, once again, Lord, please repent. Jo Jacob is so small. Please don't, don't do this. And then God says, okay, I will put a plumb line in your midst. I will put a standard amongst you. And the judgment that is meted out will be the judgment that you mete out to yourself. Because you will recognize the standard by which my love flows to you. And you won't recognize it. And you will, by that standard, hold yourselves accountable. And so, our Lord was at the beginning. He is with us now. And as it says in Revelation, he was and is and is to come.
And he comes time and again in your life and in mine. And so often all that is required of us is that we pay attention. Recognize when the Lord's presence and power is at work among us. Allow those moments of wonder to have their way. Allow them to speak to you. Remember the very first sermon I ever preached? I was a senior at UC Santa Barbara, and I was a youth director at El Montecito Presbyterian Church. And, and I, I was terrified, of course. And I had some of my friends from, from the school, from college, over there with me, as well as the youth group. And I remember I used one simple illustration that I had stolen from one of the Young Life leaders. And that was, if you were watching a bunch of ants on the ground, constantly bumping into each other, if you wanted to communicate to them how they could live their lives without constantly bumping into each other, what would you do? The answer is become an ant. And go into their midst and maybe communicate to them how not to bump into each other. Simple. A little stupid, but profound. And that's how our Lord loves us. The entire story of the Old Testament is of God's love for us, God creating us in an act of love, and then we start bumping into each other. We foul up time and time again, and God keeps trying. He says, you keep doing this and you're out. You're gonna be no more my people, but then we keep doing it, and God just says, okay, we're gonna try this. That's why I think it's so important that we call God Father, because that's how he acts. He can't pull back his love. And so he keeps trying and trying. He sees all of us just crashing into each other all the time, and then he comes to us to show us the way. That we might be one with one another and with him as he and the Father are one. That we might know the love that he has had for us since before the dawn of time before the very moment that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, that we might know that his intent for us is that we might have life and have it abundantly. We need only hear his voice and allow his Spirit to do its animating work within us. Will you join me in prayer? Thank you, dear Father. Give us those moments where we see fully the power and the presence, the love of your Son, full of grace and truth, that we might daily be transformed, surprised by grace, surprised by the many things that you consistently, constantly lavish upon us out of your love for us. Lord God, we thank you for your long-suffering. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you haven't cast us out. 
We thank you, O Lord, that instead your son was forsaken on the cross on our behalf. And we pray in his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.